Hi everyone, my name is Melissa, the host of the Mummy Warriors podcast. This podcast is based on topics that go on behind the world of parenting. Speaking of the unspoken, I upload an episode once a week on a Tuesday with a new topic every single week. I look forward to you tuning in. Hi everyone and welcome to the Mummy Warriors podcast. Today I'm joined by Amelia Zachary. Hi Amelia, thank you for joining us on the Mummy Warriors podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. So Amelia, could you explain exactly your bipolar condition? So first of all, I am a writer and I'm a blogger. And so I've been writing a memoir about my life that's been rife with pain and struggles from bipolar disorder. And that was brought about by rape when I was much younger. I now live through the mental illness and I have a very rewarding life. I want everyone to know that that's possible. And I have two beautiful daughters and an amazingly devoted husband. While deceivingly high functioning, this whole facade is, the struggle with mental illness is real. And that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm writing in my memoir in hopes that my story will be will bring peace and hope for those going through the same trauma I'm, I'm going through and a hope that it clarifies matters and gives insight to those who are supporting or simply have someone they know or love going through it. Um, really, Melissa, I want to be part of the conversation around normalizing mental illness and conversations eradicating the stigma around rape victims. I want to turn that victim blaming into victim here. I was also raped when I was 19 and that immense isolation and that trauma brought about bipolar disorder. Let's uh, rewind a little bit. Tell us a little bit about your bipolar journey. And So I was, um, I was not aware for a very long time that I had bipolar. I was in, in, engaged in very self-destructive behavior. I was reckless. I, was, I had suicidal ideation and a lot of self-destructive thoughts and behaviors. And I had no idea what was going on until I was going out with my husband. I was dating my husband at the, at the time, I obvious, at, at the time he was my boyfriend. And he was the person who kind of ushered me into treatment. And so he sat by my side and we got treatment and I got my diagnosis then. That was about eight years after the trauma. How did you feel when you were told that you were bipolar? Mental health in my, in my experience, my background, my culture, family culture, and just societal norms at the time, mental illness is not something that we talked about. It was not something, it was something taboo, right? So nobody actually talked about it and I had no idea what it meant. So when I heard bipolar, I said, I'm not crazy. Right. I'm not one of those people. Like, the what are you stigma. talking about? The stigma is there, yes. What do you recognize as being your trigger points um, that creates a change in your, your thought pattern? So for me, it's a, it can't, my hypomanic, I have bipolar too, which is hypomania. And what is definitive of the... Uh, diagnosis is the prolonged major depressive episodes Mm -hmm. so I find myself getting into the hypomanic state and when I'm highly stimulated and highly mentally stimulated I'm excited about something I'm thinking about it all the time and I get into this state where I'm hyper focused and um, when I hit that high what happens is I fall really 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 deep Right. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example of something that I talk about a lot. Like um, thinking is exhausting. 
a simple thing as a simple thought is exhausting to me. So I've gone for tre- I've been in treatment for 10 years now. So I've learned a lot of things that I can put in my toolbox. Right. To treat like to address so many different states and people think about bipolar as being high or low. But right. there's also this there's also this middle part which is not like stable relaxed middle part. When I tell you a middle part it's both sides bending at the same time. Both sides immensely high immensely high and immensely low at the same time. And so that kind of torture is the worst. Yeah, I can imagine. And even the explanation of you saying that and me putting myself in that position, it it must feel sometimes that it will insecure, like kind of anxious, you know, because you can't really navigate what spectrum you're you're, you're feeling. But with the tools, with the tools, it's become manageable. And like I said um, about thinking can be exhausting because right. I use I use CBT a lot in my daily life cognitive behavioral therapy right where I identify my thinking errors and then I so I identify my thinking errors and I re- redirect or reframe my thoughts so for example someone says so I do something nice for somebody and then somebody comes to me and says thank you in my mind I might say something like, oh, yeah, just, just saying thank you because they have to say thank you to anyone. They don't actually, oh. they're not actually appreciative, right? Right. Then my, then my, the voice from the back of my mind comes, the CBT mind comes and it says, no, like that's a thinking error. Label the thinking error, minimizing. Okay, I'm minimizing the act. Now, reframe. They are saying thank you because they are appreciative. And even if they are not, I will never know because no one actually knows what everyone else is thinking. Therefore, right. I can- accept it at face value that they are appreciative right and that's that's just for someone saying thank you to me for something yeah so extend extend that to every single interaction that I have right I mean that is a brilliant explanation I think that it the way you explain it I think is definitely relatable um in definitely understanding bipolar for, for people that may be a little bit ignorant to it I mean I grew up in an era where bipolar or even depression or mental health is seen as you're being lazy you're just in yeah. a bad mood um yeah. it will pass very much minimized in society demonized something that's never really been taken seriously up until I would I would say in my perspective about three years so for you to be able to articulate it I think is amazing and for you to be able to articulate it for a broad audience to understand um, I really think that that is definitely a positive thing explain the story of what the trauma was the sexual trauma how that affected you and is that a part of um your bipolar or do you okay. believe that's a part of your yes. bipolar the there is no definitive way i was well in my experience what i've been told there isn't a definitive way to diagnose bipolar it's not like you can go and get a blood test and someone tells mm-hmm. you like this is elevated and therefore you have bipolar right mm-hmm. it is a series of tests of like a, a recording of behavior over time mm-hmm. that then they match into the uh, diagnosis so my the theory is that rape the rape and um, things that happened following the rape mm-hmm. actually was so such an intense trauma on my system that it um, brought a latent, uh, latent bipolar right. to the surface. So, right. like, the, how it affected me, you say, like, it is, it had, it had taken away. This is why I want to speak up 
on this, mm-hmm. I decided to speak out because that I feel that had taken away everything from me. It took away my confidence, my self-esteem, my sense of security in the the environment around me or the people around me. It took away my trust in anybody and that makes it very difficult to have relationships. It took away my entire sense of self. And I was in limbo for such a long time because I'm on the verge. I'm always on the verge of, oh, someone's going to find out. Someone's going to know. Because I blamed myself and I thought that that, that's the societal stigma that victim blaming, you know. Absolutely. So there was a lot of shame and guilt and victim blaming. And I want this conversation to shift. I want it to be victim healing. Why aren't we asking how are victims healing? Right. Why is it when someone's raped, the questions are, where was she? What was she doing? What was she wearing? Why did she drink so much? Right. That has to stop. Yeah. Stop. And because it took 18 years. Well, I'm sure that it's worse for some other people. I'm sure there are people who who haven't gotten through it even past 18 years. But in my experience, 18 years is a very long time. And it's taken 18 years for me to accept that it was a violation. Right. And like, well, for, for what has come of it, I felt like I was wronged by a bunch of, not just the perpetrator, but from all the people around me and all the people who failed me, mm-hmm. I, had gone to, I had gone to seek help from some adults that I had known trusted adults and I was refused help. Right. I was, the remark was, well, if you didn't hang out with them, that wouldn't have happened. Right. And so... I couldn't even tell you their names right now. Right. The, the collective them that ostracized me and blamed me for what happened. Now I know 18 years later, they are still just, a, they are just still faceless and nameless people. Right. And that's, that's the reality of it. Yeah. The vic- victims live with it for the, for your entire life. And for people who are the perpetrators, the transgressors, it is a blimp in their history. Right. And so I want the conversation to change and I want us to view rape as rape as what it is. Right. And again, I think that's so beautifully said in especially the terms of focusing on how are the victims healing. Um, Thank you. There's this, there's this sense of criminalization. Of absolutely. The victim, absolutely. Of the victim. I was told not to tell the story. I, even in my telling this story, a lot of people are asking me, why am I doing that? Why, why, what happens when your children hear it? And I'm thinking, why, why am I the one that is hiding? Why am I pushed into a corner not to tell my story? I don't understand. This doesn't make sense to me. It's just right. backwards. Right. I did not do anything wrong. I was not in the wrong. And why, why is it that I'm the one that has to go into hiding? I think that we just live in a society where things have been passed down. So it's just like a culture of, of thinking. Like, for example, the family that I come from, the family background that I come from, it's one of those things where even to do with mental health or to do with depression or anything to do with any sort of sexual violation, it is say nothing, do nothing, just act like it didn't happen. Yes. Um, And that's been the culture in my family through generations upon generations upon generations of women. So sometimes 
it's not that there's there's like an anger there for how society is it's just all we know so yeah in, I guess sometimes there's a teaching of, of training ourselves to, to to change the way we feel like I'm Absolutely. not a mother of a daughter but I'm a mother of a son and it doesn't change my fear nevertheless of my child being sexually violated but I want to change the narrative of it being something shameful to speak about if it does yes. happen and of also send home the message that it won't be hidden we're gonna say yes. speak out so that's again why I say that I love the message of you being so open because not a lot of women are open about it because of how society reacts a, to it it's a it's a very painful burden to bear it's something I'm I'm not like I'm not making light of this that like the fact that I'm being I'm able to speak to you about this took a lot is taking a lot from me and I probably will be anxious for weeks after we, this interview but I really feel like this is really something important for our society to change the way we look at these things and we have to keep speaking out about these things because when we know better, we have to do better, right? Absolutely. But if we don't speak about it, if no one's going to speak about it, then no one's going to know about it. Exactly. And, that's and it's not exactly. like, I'm not, I'm not saying that there's not enough information out there. I mean, there's, this is not something that like happens once in a blue moon. This happens every single day. Every day. It's every day. It's everywhere. And I guess I just want to be part of the conversation. I want to be part of the conversation that leads to healing. I want yeah. to be part of conversation that changes this narrative of victim blaming. And yeah, the yeah, shame. The shame, yeah, re removing the shame from this conversation. Well, the shame should be placed on the other party, I feel. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. Um, and I, I, as I said, like, you're definitely admirable for being able to speak your story and speak your truth. Um, and I think there takes a big element of bravery to even speak your story, no matter what your story is. It just it, to be so and brave to articulate and speak your story is exactly what I feel is admiring because not everyone is able to do that, to, to speak their story, even though it may hurt you or it may make you feel anxious or you know you're bearing a part of your soul especially to a stranger I mean we've never obviously met um well not uh, well I'm not just bearing my my soul to you now yeah I was bearing my soul to all your viewers exactly but, yeah. but you're still you're still doing that that takes courage to do Thank to bear you. your soul Thank with you. with with you know because it's still your story regardless of before or after the podcast well, so I, I I appreciate you saying that but I am walking in a path that have has been paved by many before me and yeah. I'm thankful for that and I'm able to do that today great um well what is Amelia the mom like on a really good day so I was uh, this is kind of uh, parenting and my life in itself I can sum up for you like I think people think of mental illness as um, something that is good or bad so if you want to see examples of what it looks like they people think that having mental illness is all bad right. right but I'll explain to you how in my family there are lots of pros that comes with it mm -hmm. like on my manic days I'm all out I am all in 
for my children, for my husband, for my family, whatever they want. We have yes days when I manic. Right. I'll say, let's go do it. Let's let's go hiking. Let's go swimming. Let's go make snow angels in the backyard. Let's bake. Let's rock climb because I want to I want to make the best out of those days that I have that much energy that I know most days when I'm depressed, I will not have. Right. Right. So and even in that parenting, in that depression, I'm not just it's not it is terrible. It is horrible for my children to see me that way. Right. To see me helpless and you know for me to feel all the guilt and the worthlessness and like such a failure of a mother. But from that, I think it it has mental illness has become part of my parenting. Because I, it teaches my children empathy, teaches yeah. them kindness and how a family unit works. We take care of each other. And they're independent. They're incredibly independent. My five-year-old, my four-year-old, and my six-year-old can make their own lunches, healthy lunches. They'll make a sandwich and eat tomatoes. They know what they, what they have to do. And I, I don't say this very lightly that like they can they can make their own lunch. And I feel like sometimes people think like, oh, what kind of mom like leaves their kids to do stuff like that? But you know what? This is this is our life. Right. This is how, this is how we cope. This is how. Of of course, we're being careful. Of course, we yeah. we have walked them through what they can and cannot do, and we watch them safely. And I'm checking for them. But and my husband also jumps in to um, do all the things that I usually I do. Mm-hmm. But they're learning all these things, and then they're learning this. The most valuable thing I think that they are learning from this is to value the good times. Yeah, truly appreciate the good times because they know what bad times look like, and they also are learning about um, emotional vocabulary. My children are very articulate in their emotions. They can yeah. tell you my my heart is heavy, and my heart is heavy, and I feel like you're making me do something I don't want to do, and I don't want to do it. And we give them mental mental health break days because if you're not feeling up to it and you're you need a mental health day take it because it's so important and like these are the things that we teach our children that's parenting them and on well on bad days i i don't have time for them and i am probably a mean mom or irritable or impatient or impulsive and my children watch me do that too and then there's a lot of then comes the depression because of it I'm so guilty because I was absent and I didn't do anything. I'm a worthless mother and I'm a failure. And my children watch that too. Yeah. So, but we have become, our parenting has become very communication um, centralized. We speak to each other all the time. We explain things all the time. We're constantly explaining things to them because I want them to understand that they are valued and I am ill. And sometimes things come out that I don't intend to and I immediately remediate the situation. Right. So you're like open with them. Yes, I'm open. And I want them to be that way too. And I want them to be able to communicate in the same way. So bipolar bipolar has a genetic predisposition. I, I don't know if they are going to get it or they are not going to get it. Cannot protect them from it. But I know what I can do is to prepare them with the tools that they right. need. And I, I, very frankly, the tools that we are learning right now, they probably could use in life anyway. Exactly. To be, yeah, to be Empathetic quite and kind. Yeah. And I think the inability 
to take action is something that people don't understand. It's yeah. not like I, I'm sleepy and I cannot get out of bed or that I am too tired that I cannot stand up. It is the kind of exhaustion that is unexplainable. Right. My entire body refuses to function. My limbs will not do what it needs to do. I cannot sit up. The minute I try to sit up, I'm flopped back onto the bed. And it's not for lack of wanting to, because you know nobody wants to be worthless and like stuck yeah. in the bed for so long. And yeah. even on the day, well, most days I feel like I don't want to, but on the days that I do feel like I want to, sometimes I can't. And I think that's what anyone who's living with somebody who has mental illness yeah. needs to take a step back and understand this, that it's not as easy as just snapping out of it. Just get out and get, get in the shower. Get out and take a walk outside. Symptoms and what it looks like, it is not a uniformed formula. For no, everybody. definitely not. So, In fact, I used to work with someone who also had bipolar. She was diagnosed straight after her divorce. And one of her symptoms was she would not be able to sleep. And she would be up three, four, five in the morning. And she'd obviously say to me, like, Melissa, I haven't slept and I'm going to the gym. And she would obsess on her weight. And then she would say to me, you know, I think I'm going to take a few months off work. And the, one of the gifts that she left me with, and she, when we parted from working with each other, she was like, you know, the best thing that I could do is instead of taking the pills the doctor gave to me, the best thing I can do is just hit the gym every time I feel like I'm turning I'm just going to hit the gym she said she wants to wean herself off and I always felt that she was such a brave woman because people used to laugh at her sort of quirky behavior but I always understood because no one knew where I was coming from and my history other than her so I just think that being able to speak on mental health bring light to mental health um, and let people have an awareness of mental health would take away the stigma. It doesn't, yeah. having mental health isn't I, like in the olden days where you run around the road screaming or. Yeah, it's, the it's, picture it's, it's, of like the picture of the loony in the. Yeah, yeah it's like, completely yeah. sometimes opposite, actually. Yeah. I'm, I'm Like I told you, I'm functioning and like people, people who don't know me, like don't know me personally, like we're not in the close circles they have no idea and they are shocked because like I I show up and I do all these things I'm mm-hmm. very very active in our community mm-hmm. like I am I go to the store and they know my name yeah like you know but nobody has any idea that while I'm doing that my mind's racing and I'm sweating and I'm like trying my best to just get in there and get milk and get out right right so I, I wanted to come back to like the different symptoms that you were talking about and what it looks like for different people. And I uh-huh. wanted to share one of the biggest regrets I've ever had um, as a person who has had bipolar and who was in treatment and had an opportunity to help somebody. So I had a friend some time ago who had come to me for help. She was... Um, she had she had some mental illness issues and she was very depressed and she had left a job she's living out of her car and I said this is incredibly insane why are you living out of your car 
oh because she gave up her house right and i was like okay why don't you live with me and i'll help you and i got into savior mode and you know i thought that i was gonna save her and i i knew all the answers because i'd been in treatment for so long and i know all the things that work for me i'll just teach her all those things and i'll bring her out and so she lived with me for several weeks almost several months and nothing happened she didn't go for her treatments she didn't do all the things that i did so right. i i was very diligent about my treatment i was diligent about my uh, medical therapy i was i was doing all those things and that's how i got better and so i thought that if she just did all those things it would it would be better right and it, it did not get better and then i guess we came on a crossroads where she decided to part ways right and that that has been my one of my largest regrets right. ever as somebody who is having this and i but i've learned from it yeah definitely I've, i've learned from it and what i have learned from it is there is no formula however yeah. getting someone the most important thing that you can do as an ally as a friend as a spouse or a loved one is to find a way to convince the person to receive treatment right that is the first thing like i did not want to get treatment right and my first treatment my uh, my first um um session therapy session my boyfriend well my husband I, i'll just call him my husband because he was my boyfriend then but now we're married uh -huh. he sat next to me and he talked to the doctor the whole time and there i was like sitting like i was dumb i was mute Right. I didn't say a word because I did not want to be there. I'm not crazy. I'm not talking to this doctor. This is a crazy doctor. Right. They're going to put me they're going to put me in straitjacket and they're going to send me away and that was my thoughts. Right. Those were my thoughts and I refused to get treatment. But over time, my husband I guess has a way with words, has a way with convincing and he sat with me through several sessions to begin until i felt independent enough to get treatment and then i received treatment but that's the that's the whole thing i think medical treatment is so important i know i'm very sad that it's not available to everybody but to those to whom it is available in my experience it has been the most helpful thing that has helped me come to the realization of a life that is rewarding where i'm thriving and i'm actually experiencing my life i'm present in my life so amelia speak to our listeners about your book and tell us about what they'll find with reading reading your book well my book is a memoir and it's one of release declaration and healing i'm here and i am here to stay i really hope that the words on these pages will bring insight for those who haven't supposed to think about it or more insight into the realities of living with mental illness and trauma i hope my book helps a bunch of people I will I'm hoping to release it in sometime in 2021 fingers crossed but until then please go on to my website or blog ameliazachary.com that's a m e l i a z a c h r y.com or my facebook page of the same name to get a taste of my musings on all matters bipolar ptsd family and a life after rape um if you don't mind my this i'd like to read a little excerpt about why i'm speaking out Please do. My daughters will be cloaked in the power of these pages that will show them a mother that crawled out of the pits losing every bit of my nails ground to the bone from scraping my way out. 
my daughters will be bathed in the power of a mother that lives each day to be the woman they can look up to. The light will shine on my daughters to own their space in this world and recognize their power, discerning of their actions and the violations against them. They will be in my power. I, to all of those who are listening and going through the pain, I say, hold on, there is a way. Love and light to all. And thank you so much for inviting me into your space today. Amelia, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure in having you here. Um, that was very beautifully written. I'm sure there'll be many of mothers, many of women, and many of survivors that can relate um, to your story and what you're going through. All the details on Amelia's up and coming book will be in the description of the podcast, as well as her website, where you can find much, much more information and be up to date when her book is released, which we're keeping our fingers crossed will be in 2021. Amelia, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for joining this week's episode. Please feel free to subscribe. You can also leave a comment. I would love to hear what your points of views are. You can also follow me on Instagram at Mummy Warriors. And you can also have a chance to be a guest on the show by visiting my website, www.themummywarriors.com. All details will be at the bottom of the podcast. Look forward to seeing you next week.